Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it! Yeah, you know, Hammer, unfortunately, I think there's been uh, a distrust, a general distrust of the FBI and the American public for, for years now, dating back to, you know, the phony FISA warrants to spy on Trump's campaign to uh, uh, arresting a pro-life activist with 30 <laughs> uh, FBI agents with long guns. You know, the FBI telling Facebook to squash the totally true, totally legit Hunter Biden laptop story ahead of the 2020 election. Uh, unprecedented raid of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lago home. So I think for a while now there has been some sort of, uh, at least with the upper echelons of the FBI, a, a general distrust by uh, certain members of the American public. I think my favorite example was when there was going to be a raid at Roger Stone's house and the media yeah. got there before the FBI. <laughs> yeah. Like CNN's yeah. truck was there before <laughs> the FBI rolled in, which tells you that somebody from the feds tipped off CNN. So to help combat some of this distrust that's happening between the upper echelon of the FBI and the American public, they thought they would have their director. Chris Ray sit down with Brett Baer of Fox News. Okay, so that's going to make everything all right. We're, we're gonna we're gonna regain the American public's trust, and we're gonna do it on Fox because I know a lot of people that view Fox probably have questions yeah. or concerns about the FBI. Man, this thing was a mess. This thing was a mess for Chris Ray. So Uh-oh. the FBI director was basically asked. You know, do you censor or do you tell social media, big tech, to censor things? Take a listen. Let's talk about the FBI and what you told big tech or some agents did about the authenticity and providence of Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI does not and is not in the business of functioning as the truth police. Understood. We don't tell social media companies to censor anything. Well, or the Twitter file suggests something different. I mean, there was an FBI request numerous times. Um, <laughs> Taibbi puts it out. FBI San Francisco request to ban certain accounts. Uh, Twitter person. Now, in this case, went on to look for reasons to suspend all four accounts that the FBI wanted to ban or, or suspend. Um, was Is it appropriate to flag social media accounts for on Twitter or elsewhere due to politics or uh, government policies when it comes to COVID? Is it appropriate in any way? You're saying it doesn't happen, but there's evidence that it had. We don't tell social media companies to ban accounts. But you suggest. Well, what we do is tell social media companies about information that we have about foreign disinformation campaigns by foreign actors, by foreign intelligence services. That's fancy talk for we fixed the glitch. Remember in Office Space, did you fire Milton? No, we fixed the glitch. Do you tell big tech to censor things? No. No, we just suggested it. It's like uh, when Chris Christie, when, when Donald Trump told Chris Christie to order anything you want on the menu, but 
you're getting the meatloaf. <laughs> and look, uh, there's some quote-unquote Russian disinformation. This uh, Hunter Biden laptop story is totally fake. Please uh, don't uh, let it become a thing on social media. But it's just a suggestion. I'm just suggesting. Right. When it was totally true. Meanwhile, they were doing that whole throat slash gesture the whole way. <laughs> yeah. They're giving the suggestion, looking right <laughs> yeah. at Zuck and Dorsey in the face. <laughs> uh, here's a little bit more. And again, this thing could not have gone any worse for Christopher Ray, the FBI director, when asked by Brett Baer. Ray defends the FBI sending 30 armed agents. Mm, that's what I was talking about earlier, yeah. To arrest yeah. Mark Houck, who is the pro-life activist in front of his family. But when it comes to BLM activists who are burning buildings down, they didn't get the same treatment. You know, there's that for a pro-life activist, but not that for a Black Lives Matter protester who maybe torches a federal building um, over the summer. So that disparity, that dichotomy, is what sticks in people's mind. I understand that people have their opinions. Uh, all I can tell you is that we have one standard, one standard, uh, which is irrespective of ideology, of politics. In this country, it doesn't matter what you're upset about, or who you're upset with, you don't get to express that upset with violence. And so we are agnostic as the ideology and focus on the violence. Mm, I don't know about that, Clark. <laughs> he, what, you, what you were talking about that pro-life activist, Mark Halleck, was facing charges of disorderly conduct in front of an abortion clinic. The, the radical progressive prosecutor in that case dropped the charges. There was a there was like a civil law, a private lawsuit that was dismissed. And then the Department of Justice sends 30 armed FBI agents to raid this poor guy's house and after he'd offered to turn himself in. Now, we'll come to your place with 30 uh, armed agents and long guns and arrest you in front of your family, even after all the charges have been dropped. And then, of course, the million-dollar questions about January 5th and January 6th. Because if you remember, the first part of the whole insurrection was that there was some pipe bomber January 5th outside the Capitol. Video showed somebody setting up a pipe bomb. Where is that guy? Well, we never heard anything about that. And... To his credit, Brett Baer asked what a lot of us have been wondering for a long time. Did the FBI plant feds, undercover informants at the Capitol for the riots? On January 5th, 2021, a still unidentified person planted pipe bombs at the DNC and RNC, which diverted law enforcement um, attention and resources on January 6th. With hundreds of other January 6th defendants arrested over two years, how has the bomber still not been caught? Well, I will say that I have enormous confidence in the team, the dedicated team that is focused exclusively on that investigation. And we have uh, devoted loads and loads of effort into that specific investigation. We've done investigative publicity, calling for the public's help. And so our folks are working very, very hard on that investigation. Did the FBI have undercover agents or paid informants or assets among the mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th? Well, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Brett, I can't really appropriately talk about when, where, and how we use confidential informants. Is it classified? Well, we have information that is uh, about any number of topics that is law enforcement sensitive. I didn't hear a no. And his whole (laughs) angle is going to be, well, I can't really tell you. But if they didn't have anybody there, I feel like he would have told you. (laughs) Ray Epps. 
Excuse me. Something in your throat mm. right there. Great hips. <laughs> what, wrong, wrong pipe there. Sorry. Uh, FBI Director Chris Ray <sighs> says he believes that COVID and the FBI believes COVID originated from a lab leak in Wuhan. Mm. So, uh, as you note, Brett, uh, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. And there are not a whole lot of details I can share that aren't aren't classified. I will just make the observation that the Chinese government seems to me has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate uh, the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and, and close foreign partners are doing, um, and that's unfortunate for everybody. I think a lot of the media has been trying to obfuscate the uh, what is appears to be the truth now that uh, the lab leak theory was true. I know there's parallel investigations and degrees of confidence in these investigations, but you heard him right there. You were a conspiracy theorist if you thought that, oh, wait, wait, Lably, come on, please. It's, it came from a bat in a wet market. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Just the other night, Stephen Colbert and whoever Comedy Central is limping to the finish line with on The Daily Show, they were laughing at the Department of Energy saying, oh. yeah, we've got reports that say it came from a lab in Wuhan. And now the FBI, who some of these folks have been carrying their water for a long time, come out and say the same thing. So I'm curious how butt sniffers like Stephen Colbert respond and whoever's hosting The Daily Show now. And never forget, Jimmy Kimmel was one of the folks laughing in your face. April 30th, 2020, at the height of COVID mania, here's Jimmy Kimmel. He's also pushing U.S. intelligence to find evidence for this theory that the virus was accidentally released from a lab in Wuhan. That's his new angle to feed the wingnuts, uh, to treat this virus like it was a conspiracy of some kind. It should have never happened. This plague should never have happened. It could have been stopped. But people chose not to stop it. <laughs> what people? Tomorrow he'll blame the Spanish flu on Antonio Banderas. <laughs> what people? What people? Well, now it's the Department of Energy and it's the FBI. <laughs> you like the FBI, don't you, Jimmy? Because they've been going after the orange man for a while. These people, man, they're all scumbags. I mean, they're all in the tank, every one of them. I, I just don't think Christopher Ray did himself any favors in that interview last night. And for me, again, I'm not talking about the rank and file FBI guys that are knocking knocking down doors. I, but it's just like, you know, the, the, it started for me with the Steele dossier. It was all fake. There was never any collusion with Trump, never any evidence of collusion. And then, you know, Christopher Steele working alongside Fusion GPS and the FBI, knowing it was phony, used to used it to get the, the FISA warrant to spy on Americans in the Trump administration. That's kind of where it all started for me. It's like, wait a minute, something shady is going on here. The Hammer and Nigel Show, 93 WIPC. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there with a very special guest on the Drive, Hubler.com hotline. When the weather sucks, we call up Marcus Bailey and we yell at him and we blame him for things. When it's sunny and 75, we welcome Stephanie Mead to the drivehubler.com hotline. Stephanie, how are you? 
Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you guys? Clearly enjoying the weather, which is really nice. This is what I call outdoor drinking weather. Yes. Now, I'll be honest, pretty much any weather for me is outdoor drinking weather, but this is the kind of weather, Stephanie, where I want to sit outside on my deck, on my patio, crack open a few beverages, and just enjoy the day. You know what I'm saying? I absolutely agree. And, you know, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a taste at what's a little bit down the road for us here. We actually welcomed in meteorological spring uh, today. So March 1st is usually when we start kind of taking in that spring data. And I, we broke the record. I, I, I don't know what meteorological, what do you call it? Meteorological. Meteorological. <laughs> yeah, meteorological. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a bit of a mouthful. But, yeah, so it just it helps out with keeping data for climatology stuff. So we usually have them kind of blocked off in three months. So March, okay. April, and May are spring. And then, obviously, June, July, and August are summer. And then same goes for winter. So we start off our actual climatology data for spring today, and we broke a record. So I think we had a high of like 71 earlier We did, we did break a record today? We, we did, yeah. The record was 71 degrees. That was set back in 1976, and we hit a high of 72 at 134. So, yeah, we, we ended up breaking right that record. Which Excellent. Yeah. Love to hear that. So what I'm hearing from you is that I can keep all my windows open. I can just turn the furnace off, and all is well moving forward. Did I hear that right, I Stephanie? Mean, I, w- I really wish that was the case. I think tomorrow's going to be kind of nice. It's not going to be as nice as today. Uh, temps should be in the mid-50s, though. We'll see a lot of sunshine with a few clouds around. And then late tomorrow through Friday is when we start to see our next system. It's going to bring us showers, so it's not going to bring us snow. The further north you go, up near northern Indiana, say Chicagoland area, southern Michigan, that's where they'll see snow mainly. And they could see around four, five, six inches of snow. So if your travel plans this weekend take you up north, just be aware of that. Otherwise, just mainly rain for us and wind. So it's been very windy for us over the past several weeks. And I wouldn't be too surprised if we actually got a wind advisory put into play Friday just because we're looking at wind gusts at around, say, 35 to 40, 45 miles per hour. Temperatures, though, still will be in the 50s. So we'll be in the mid-50s tomorrow, 50 degrees on Friday. And then it's going to get a little cooler this upcoming weekend, but temperatures and make a nice rebound on Sunday. So it'll be very brief. How, would, like you, the past couple weeks. how would you assess the, the winter um, in terms of snowfall and, and bad weather? over the past few uh, months was it was it i mean there were a couple of days where it was really bad but i don't think we had that sure. much did we no we didn't um we actually ended up having only a trace of snow for the month of february and we haven't seen that since 1949 i believe so it was abnormally dry just in terms of how much snow we've seen and i don't think we received that much in january or december um so it's been it was really quiet i think we really only saw two major snow events and i use that in air quotes because the what the first one we saw was around christmas and that really didn't give us too much snow that was actually more so of like a temperature and cold event for us because we did get to around 25 to 30 degrees below zero in terms of wind chill factors and i think that was probably the most potent system we saw of the winter um that doesn't mean we won't see any snow accumulation moving forward because usually that's just kind of how it shakes out for us i feel like usually march and april we usually kind of pay for it a little bit so we could possibly see that but this winter for us, it's been below average, and we actually rounded out the month of February, uh, top five warmest Februarys on record. So it's, it, it hasn't really felt like winter for us here across central Indiana. Now, you're not one of these people that wants bad weather in the winter, are you? You're not one of these people that's yeah. sad we didn't get a lot of snow, are you? I'm just 
disappointed we didn't get a lot of snow. Oh. <laughs> oh. She is a Packers fan. So. I'm happy. I'm happy the time has come and passed that you know tracking that stuff for now looks to be finished because you really only want it in December. January and February, you really don't want it, and you especially don't want it in March or in April. But it, it would have been nice to at least because I feel I've been here for almost six years, and we haven't really had anything too substantial happen just in terms of snow. And winter's been kind of quiet. So, and I'm good with know. that. This is where we disagree, <laughs> Stephanie. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people would say the same thing. It just kind of keeps you on your toes and keeps things interesting for sure. All right. Last thing before we let you go, Nige mentioned you are a Packers fan. As the yes. unofficial Green Bay Packer fan of the Hammer and Nigel show, <laughs> do you want Aaron Rodgers back? Um, You know what? Maybe give him a try for one more year. And just see, because it looks like a lot of the key players that he liked last year are coming <laughs> back. So give it one more swing. If it doesn't work out, he is getting older. Let him go. And I think uh, Jordan Jordan Love might do a good job, but I don't I don't know. I feel like we're almost on the same level as the Colts right now, where we're just kind of trying yeah. to figure things right. out. Yep, Aaron Rodgers just got back from his big trip into the darkness, so we'll find yeah, out soon. I see that too. So hopefully he comes to some type of realization. He needs to be more of a leader. I, I believe that's what Randy Hollis does at Wish TV. Every once in a while, when things cut serious, <laughs> he goes into the he, darkness and comes back I out. To say, is that where he goes for his two week vacation? <laughs> almost every other month. <laughs> Stephanie Mead, Wish TV. You're the best. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, no problem. Enjoy your day today. It's the hammer and. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. It is the Hammer and Nigel Show. We'll go straight to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on Wish TV investigative reporter Richard Essex. Richard, I saw your piece uh, last night on IMPD policy and their policy on seized guns and how it's being called into question. I, I came away from this not necessarily thinking anything shady or nefarious was going on, but certainly a strange policy and uh, somewhat cumbersome and antiquated uh, in terms of people being able to, to get their seized firearms back. Can we uh, Let's just start at the beginning here of your report. Well, from, from what we were told, it, this policy has been in place since at least 1973, which... 50 years. And they believe that it probably was in place before that. But, you know, as time goes by, things do change a little bit. But they've been doing this for decades. And what I've been told from people who work at IMPD or who are retired from IMPD, they have many people have questioned this policy over the years. And the department has always taken the stance. Well, if it's a problem, then somebody can sue us. Well, nobody has really ever taken them to task on this. Now, Richard, let me stop you right there before we get way too ahead of ourselves. I want everybody to make sure we're on the same page here. What is the policy in question that you're talking about? All right. So every single firearm that comes into IMPD's property room is sent over to the ballistics lab, tested, and all of that information is collected. It is sent to ATF, every bit of it. Now, 
ATF tells us that they only want that information from guns that are involved or suspected to have been involved in a crime. I've been told that as many as 30 percent of the of the guns that go through this this uh, the property room are not involved in a crime. So they have 21,000 guns wow. currently in the property room. So 6,300 or so are not connected to a crime, not suspected in a crime, but they have tested all of those ballistics, sent them to the ATF for enter into their own database. And so they sent them to this to ATF to maybe cross-check for crimes and see if that gun was maybe involved in another crime somewhere they can connect the dots somewhat, so to speak? Yeah, I, the basis of this is is brilliant. Every gun that comes in there, they they test, and then that information sent to ATF and it becomes part of the of the bigger um, database. So they can they can track crime guns, and it's been very very successful. But what we're talking about are the legal gun owners. Yeah, you know, let's say you are on your way home and you've got two of your guns in, in the back of the car and you're in an accident. Well, they, they, you you get taken to the hospital. IPD is going to take possession of everything inside of that car, inside of your car. And when you go to get that back, they're going to delay you getting that back until it goes through this entire process. So hmm. you haven't committed any crimes with that, with that gun. You aren't suspected of committing any crimes with that gun, but they are going to go ahead and test it, which we were told is probably a violation of due process and, prob- and probably the Fourth Amendment. So I know you had uh, Guy Relford on your report, and of course we know Guy. He comes on with us quite often. What was his take on what you discovered? Well, he's been hearing about this for years. From the time we made contact with him, it was a Wednesday at like noon, so we had the interview the next day, 18 hours apart. He had two phone calls, and while we were sitting there, somebody called and asked him what what could be done to get their guns back from IMPD. It happened so often that he is um, almost putting up a recording of of what to to tell people when they've had their guns seized by IMPD or in IMPD's. It's like his fee is is $300. How much is your gun worth? And how much time and effort do you want to spend on this? And it could wind up costing them, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars or to sue them five thousand to seven thousand dollars. Now, I look, you know, this show has a really good relationship with the IMPD. We're very pro law enforcement. And I think if they if this is, you know, using illegal guns to track other crimes with the ATF and cross referencing and cross checking and 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 they're using them to solve serious crimes. I think that's great. I'm 100 percent for that. But, you know, you, you, you had the guy on. That had his car towed by the M- <laughs> by, by yeah, IMPD, yeah. and he happened to have his gun that he keeps in his car for self defense, and it took him two years to get it back when he was not involved in any way, shape, or form uh, with a crime, and that's where I think the problem starts to set in. So when we talked to him, there were five other people in line trying to get their guns back. That and we just went down there randomly one morning, and. <laughs> All of them were having the same problem. Now, he had he had his gun in his car. It had, he had parked it illegally, and it got towed. 
but it took two years for him to get it back. He had to get a background check. He had to get fingerprinted. He had to prove proof, uh, proof of purchase, which requires him going back to the retailer, having the gun traced. It's really an arduous process to get everything back. Now, there was another lady that we talked to that was right in front of him. She had been in a car crash the day before, and her laptop was in there, some other her purse and some other things. She got all that back right then. But they were not going to release her gun to her until she had done a background check, fingerprinted, and done all these other things. And they couldn't even give her a time period on when it was going to come back. Now, IMPD did tell me that there are circumstances where if they can verify that they took the gun at a certain point, you've got the case report, you can speed the process up a little bit. She had everything, but they still weren't going to give her her gun back. They gave her her laptop back. They didn't go through her browsing history to see what she had been doing with that. They didn't go through her phone to see where she had been. But because it's a firearm, it gets a little bit heavier scrutiny. Richard Essex is our guest. He's the investigative reporter for Wish TV 8. He's got a report out right now about what happens to some of the weapons when IMPD has to either take you into custody or even tow your car in a situation like we've brought up here. Richard, what was the response from IMPD when you asked them, hey, there are some law-abiding citizens here who have a legal firearm that have done nothing wrong. They just needed a tow of their vehicle here. Is it constitutional for you to give their gun information to the ATF? What was their response? IMPD was very transparent right from the beginning. That was our very first question. And they said, yes, we are testing every single gun that comes through. My next question, is it constitutional? Do you have to have a search warrant? Are you going through due process? And the answer was, our lawyers believe that we are doing things right, which goes back to people on the inside have been telling me for a long time that they've just been waiting for somebody to challenge this policy before they're going to make changes to it. Now, Assistant Chief Bailey did tell me that if they make changes, they're going to tell us right away. And I've heard that there is some rumbling about making some changes, and they may have already made some changes. They just haven't made them public yet. One of the interesting things that Assistant Chief Bailey said to me, and he volunteered this information, he was concerned whether all of the other testing that's being done is slowing down overall ballistic testing for sure. maybe guns that were involved in a crime or maybe a gun that that they haven't tested yet that could have been involved in a crime. So it could be slowing down the the entire justice system. And so how and how many guns did you say they currently have there and the they're holding? Estim, estimated twenty one thousand. Wow. That's a big number. So, And we already know they're short-staffed at IMPD as it is, yeah. as recruitment's a problem right now, and they're down hundreds of officers. Right. Right. And, you know, and this is, a, this is not a, a rank-and-file patrol officer issue. Right. This is a long-standing policy that goes back to, you know, gosh, before I barely remember downtown Indianapolis. I mean, 1973. It goes back a long, long time. So, who knows how many guns have been tested that were not part of a crime and how many people that that had their guns tested it and have never been told do you know what happens to most of those guns do they just sit in there forever are they destroyed or are they abandoned what what happens to them 
there is a process of destroying them, but it, it's um, that and that in itself is a whole other story. Yeah. If somebody could lay claim to it, they have to hold on to it until everything has been exhausted, and that in itself is a whole other process. Um, I I have heard that there's a company that comes over from St. Louis a couple times a year that takes the destroyed guns and videotapes the whole process. We're, we're trying to get our hands on all that also. Well, Richard, if somebody wants to see this report, it aired yesterday, but I believe it's online as well. Where can they go? WishTV.com. WishTV.com. It is right there on the front page. Richard Essex, investigative reporter for WishTV 8. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Record-setting day today, right now, 75 at the American Standard Heating Weather Center. Let's crank up a little booze news. You set them up and I'll knock them back, Lloyd, one by one. We are going to read booze news because it's really fun. Once it hits your lips, it's so good. It's present. Booze news, booze news. Yeah. Time for booze news. 43-year-old dude driving in Minnesota, arrested last week after drinking a bunch of Boone's Farm wine and then <laughs> passing out in an Arby's drive through while ordering the curly fries. The old farm, <laughs> huh? Hitting the farm a little bit. Thankfully, no one was hurt. If you don't know what Boone's Farm is, it's like it's like the cheapest kind of wine you can get. Like I'm, I'm looking right now, you can buy a, buy a bottle of Strawberry Hill for six bucks. It's it's pretty uh, it's cost effective. Yes, it's a budget wine, I and believe. it gives you a headache like you've never experienced before, like the hangover of cheap products. Whether it's wine, cheap beer, cheap tequila, when you're balling on a budget, you don't get to complain about the headache the next day. <laughs> I mean, I'm reading here like Boone's Farm wine. Oh no, this is in June of '72. To give you an idea. Boone's Farm Apple Wine cost a dollar ten per fifth. Wow! It's increased to about five ninety seven a bottle modern day. <laughs> I've never had it. Really? No. I mean that's that's that, that's a typical like alcohol you drink like in high school, right? Or when there's absolutely like nothing else in the house yeah. and the liquor store is about to close, right. and yeah, that's I've been in that situation before. I, and it's not good. <laughs> so do we go? Good. So he passed out ordering the curly fries, which I find to be quite tasteful at uh, Arby's. So if you're going curry. French fries here, are you going curly fries, mm. steak fries, crinkle cut, or basic? No, uh, forget the steak fries. Too much potato in the middle there. I'm going too much potato. I, I, I'm, I'm too much. I mean, it's just too much in the middle there. I'm going crinkle cut, and I'm going curly fries. Allison, weigh in on the debate here. If you're going fries, I mean, you, how are you going? What do you mean basic, by the way? Are, are McDonald's basic fries? Or are those yeah. like the basic kind of straight, like like Fast food, ch- traditional style French yeah. fries. Yeah, I'd go I'd go basic and then a uh, crinkle fry. I'm team steak fry. And oh, both of you guys man. can kiss my ass. I love steak fries. I don't have all day. <laughs> I am steak fries followed by crinkle, followed by curly, and then basic. Now, to be fair, I'm not turning away any of them, but that's the <laughs> ranking that I have. Um, happy National Pig Day, Nigel. <laughs> well, thank you. 
I don't know if that was an insult or what that's supposed to be. Today is March first, this... National Pig Day, oh. and since it's National Pig Day, we turn the microphone over to Tim Allen. You women will agree, yeah. right? Men are pigs, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just too bad we own everything. <laughs> I'm kidding. My mom raised seven boys, two girls. She always called us pigs. You little pigs. You little red-butted primate little monkey pigs. <laughs> Don't speak to your mother. You grunt like the pigs you are. My mother figured that's how men should talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> a classic. It's true. You don't think your old man grunts? Give him a steak. Honey, you like that? <laughs> My mom said the only reason men are alive is for lawn care and vehicle maintenance. <laughs> oh, is that true? Yeah. I know it's true. I got a new lawn tractor. Yeah. yeah. Got the John Deere 160. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 11 horse twin cylinder. <laughs> 42-inch blade, rear bagger. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's got headlights in case I want to mow it at night. I have that option, yeah. That's kind of the bit that really yeah, put him into classic. the next level, man. Oh, yeah. The men are pigs bit. And to wrap up celebrating National Pig Day, <laughs> Hammer and Nigel Records put this together. In honor of National Pig Day, let's replace the word big with pig in all your favorite big songs. Because you had to be a big shot. You get pig shot from Billy Joel. We're going pig from Real Kenny G. Even ACDC's I've Got Pig Balls. Yeah! Pig Mouth from Snoop Dogg. Can't forget. And of course, Peter Gabriel's Pig Time. <laughs> yeah, happy National Pig Day. Now available on Def Ham Records. <laughs> hey It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it! You know, I really don't see what's so controversial about Senate Bill 480. I know they, they've used the word controversial at the, the top of the hour with the news, but I don't see what's so controversial with the Senate Bill 480. It passed the Senate State House. Uh, it passed the Indiana State House Senate 36 to 12 hammer. It's basically a, a ban on minors receiving gender changing medical care or surgery and, and prohibiting hormone therapy and pu- puberty blockers for kids under 18. I, I, I can't see. I, I can't understand how that's a controversial thing. Imagine if you had been in a coma for the last five years, and you finally wake up. It's been an amazing five years. You've been knocked out. You wake up. You turn on the television. You want to get up to speed with everything. And the first news story you hear is that the ACLU is upset that ten-year-olds can't lop off their crank anymore. <laughs> when you put it that way. It- Sounds completely bizarre and dystopian. Um, But yeah, absolutely, you should not have any sort of medical procedure until you're 18. Your brain's not even fully developed until you're 25. And you're telling me at 16 years old, if uh, a female wants to, to, to 
chop off her breasts that's that's an okay thing and you're as, as a legislator as a politician you're okay with that that somehow doesn't sit well with me nobody's saying you can't be trans nobody's saying you can't be gay i believe gender dysphoria is a real thing i'm a I'm slightly aware of an acquaintance whose family is going through this with their child with the issue of gender dysphoria. It's, and it, look, if you are a parent of somebody that's going through that, it's difficult. It's gotta be hard. If you want to affirm them, that's your decision. I wouldn't do it. I think, it's, I, I think that's wrong. Um, but definitely don't give these, these puberty blockers, hormone therapy to kids who aren't fully aware of the decisions they're making and the ramifications it could have years later. I think the key thing that you mentioned right there was you can still be gay. You can still be trans. You can be whatever you want. You just can't make a life-changing decision until you are a legal adult. And for whatever reason, the ACLU has said that this is unacceptable. And by the way, tell me about it. You know, tell, don't hide it from me if you're a school corporation. Uh, I absolutely, as a parent, deserve to know what's going on um, with my child. And so if they want that gender affirmation, you know, the pronouns, him, her, whatever, don't hide that from me as a parent. Tell me about that, too. Well, that's featured in another bill that's being called the Don't Say Gay Bill in Indiana, which is a complete lie and a complete hoax, because much like Florida's bill, there's no part of the bill where it says don't say gay. It's one of the biggest lies that the media has ran with since hands up, don't shoot. That was another myth that never happened. But the media loves a good myth. Media and the ACLU loves a good myth and a narrative because they feel like they can get things done in the legislative process by feeding off of that. So that was Senate Bill 480. Also, Senate Bill 12 passed through the Indiana Senate. It was a vote of 37 to 12. Now, Senate Bill 12 bans materials harmful to minors in schools. Now, this one's a little bit more uh, up for debate, but the language in the proposal, and the author was Senator uh, Jim Tomes of Wadesville, quote, removes for educational purposes material that is obscene, pornographic, or violent. How, again, how is that controversial, though? I mean, have you seen some of these books and, and quote unquote um, health these these health uh, catalogs or whatever books that they're pulling out of libraries at schools? It's it's it, there's some disturbing stuff that kids have been looking at there under the guise of uh, medicine. You know, some of the titles of books, like if you're looking for an example, some of the titles that have been referenced by the staff of the senator, the author, include This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson. Let's talk about it. The Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships and Being a Human, a graphic teen sex novel by Erica Moen and Matthew Nolan. Those were just two examples that the senator used that minors should not have access to in a school, classroom, or library. Yeah, and how is that controversial? I don't want my kids to see these graphic novels. And I've seen pictures of what these things are talking about. So there's not anything I'd let my kid look at at all in any way, shape, or form. I think the debate comes in because they're concerned that now parents are going to overreact and take advantage of 
what could be the law, and every time they see a book they don't like, say that it's obscene and demand that the school get rid of it. That's where they're kind of trying to figure things out right now, but it has passed through the Indiana Senate. Now, well, it's like you it's like the old saying, I, I can't define what pornography is, but I know it when I see it. Right. Some of these things in those books and these other medical journals and things that are in the classroom, it's there's no way I'd let my kids look or hear about any of that crap. Okay, so I'm reading the bill right now. Nigel, how old is your youngest daughter? Uh, she'll be she'll be nine this month. Okay, tell me if you would want any of these things in the library at the school of your nine-year-old daughter. Uh, books that, quote, describe or represent in any form nudity, sexual content, sexual excitement, sadomasochistic abuse. No, of course not. Of course, they have no place in school. Here's more. Appeal to the purient interest in sex of minors. Would you want that in your school or in your library? No. Uh, books that are patently offensive to prevailing standards in the adult community as a whole with respect to what is suitable for performance before minors. And lastly, this is from the bill, uh, Senate Bill 12, books that lack serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors. These are all things that Senate Bill 12 has outlined saying, we don't want this in schools or school libraries but folks on the other side are saying okay who's going to decide what violates political value for minors who's going to make the decision on what is uh, a literary problematic book because there are some classic books that they've said are safe like books like citizen kane and some of these other classics that they've said are not affected we're mainly talking about books you would find in schools for young kids under the age of 18 i mean look can we just be reasonable here can, i think it's it's I think it's a pretty black and white issue. I mean, don't put pornographic material, graphic material, and say it's under the guise of, of, of sexual uh, education. Leave it out. You don't need graphic novels and depictions of, of certain things. We can even talk about on the air that have been in these kids' books that I've seen with my own eyes. Um, there's nothing like that uh, in my school district or where my kids go to school. And I'm saying I've seen news stories. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it all over the place. I don't know how common it is, but if it's a problem in one area, it's it's a problem everywhere, and it's a slippery slope, and we need to make sure kids aren't looking at that stuff. And Tony Kennett, who covers uh, education bills closer than anybody in the country, probably, he's going to join us later in the show, and I want to get his thoughts on these bills, the reaction you're seeing from the teachers' unions, and even some students. There are a lot of student activists in school who clearly have not read any of these bills because they're organizing don't-say-gay yeah. rallies in regards to what's happening in Indiana, to which if you're one of these students, that's fine. I'm happy you're taking part in the political process and your legal right to protest, but all I'm asking is show me. Show me in the two-and-a-half-page bill where, specifically, it says don't say gay. If you can show me specifically where it says don't say gay, then I'll shut up and you can just protest to your little heart's content. Hammer and Nigel presents... Is... It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. 
Is this anything? Hammer, how do we play? Is this anything? I'll run some stories by you. You break down all the information and give us a verdict. Is the story anything or not? Is this anything? A Florida sheriff went totally off the rails, Rob Kendall style, (laughs) on a neo-Nazi group in Florida who are passing out anti-Semitic material in the community. Here is Sheriff Mike Chitwood challenging the group and telling them that he won't be backing down. They try to besmirch your character. They try to put death threats out on you and threaten you and your family. I wear that as a badge of honor because I, too, by these clown group, want to shut my big mouth and put a bullet in the back of my hand. Go for it. You want to put surveillance on me 24 hours? Go for it. And the best of all, you're going to dox me? Go for it. I stand with my Jewish friends, and I'm honored to be on your hit list. It's an honor to be sought after by a bunch of punk thugs like you. Yeah! There we go! I like that guy. Uh, I could get down with that for sure. And that needs to be, that was for a neo-Nazi group that was doxing him. That needs to be for every uh, radical uh, social justice group, including Antifa or anything that that, that does those same sorts of things. For any group that does that, I don't care what you think you're representing, uh, I'm sorry, representing, um, you dox somebody, you threaten somebody's life, you put an officer's address out there, you put his name and picture, which has happened in this city. Uh, for sure, with IMPD, that needs to be resp- the response right there. Yeah, I'm proud to be on your hit list. Bring it. All I know is that Indy needs more sheriffs like Florida has. Between Grady Judd and my yeah. man Mike Chitwood here, yeah. I like it when they bring the heat, man. That's awesome. Is this anything? Uh-huh. An Australian woman is accused of trying to run over her boyfriend when he asked her, for one of her French fries. Oh, uh, well, I can understand that. Seems to be a bit of an overreaction, but here's the boyfriend explaining his side of the story. I asked for a chip out of a uh, half chicken and chips salad pack she had. <laughs> I thought she was finished. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have asked for the chip. Yeah, she came <laughs> straight at me. I just jumped straight over into her. Well, it wasn't much of a jump, but yeah, straight over into a bit of a lane there. And she just impaled the... What, what did she? What did he say? Yeah, that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have asked for the chip. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is something for sure. Now she, she says she said it was an accident, but I tell you what, you don't you don't touch a woman's food until she's done with it. No, you definitely, no. especially when you're doing chips and uh, uh, chicken. Right, chips and, chicken. and now, chip is another word for fry in Australia. Obviously. Your fries are her fries too. That's always the policy. Yeah, don't touch her food, but she can stick your fingers, stick her fingers all over <laughs> your plate, and it'd be totally fine. Now, to be fair, at our house, after the dinner's done, I kind of am the human garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's anything left See, on that, the kids' plate yeah. or you know whatever, instead of just throwing it away, Dad, do you want the rest of this? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, see, that's the key. That's one of the keys to losing some poundage, right there. You eat what's on your plate, and that's it. And don't. And I, I'm guilty of the same thing with my kids. But I feel like I'm being thing. frugal that way, though. Like, I know there are starving kids in Ethiopia. Sure. I don't want to throw away yeah. the food they have. No, you're right. So I feel like I'm doing my part to be a better <laughs> humanitarian by eating the food that's on their plate. How about maybe just don't eat it, but save it, put it in a container, and bring it to lunch the next day? How about you don't worry about it? <laughs> <laughs> Is this anything? A 20-something nanny who has trouble keeping track of the three kids she watches yes. has a great idea for a family phone that would help 
Everybody stay in touch. The nine-year-old has an iPad, so I tried to call her on it. She didn't have it with her. So the 12-year-old just got his own phone, so I called him, and I was like, go tell your sister, and of course he was annoyed. They need to come up with, like, a phone that's for the whole family that stays in the house. So if you need any person in the house, <laughs> you can call that phone. Like, it's not one person's number. It's just the whole family. Uh-huh. For this phone, let's attach it to a cord, maybe, like, stick it on the wall. So that if there's an emergency, we can always find it. It can't leave the house. Sure. <laughs> You're like the developer of stuff. Reach out because we think it's an awesome idea and maybe a moneymaker. That's a concept uh, uh, right there. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. Are you talking about a landline? <laughs> are you talking about a traditional telephone with a cord plugged into the wall? <laughs> Is that what that's 20-year-old? I don't, I don't think she's a millennial. She's... She's like Gen Gen Z. That's that's pretty much. I mean, you know, you're 20 years old. How old is this cell phone? Pretty much. I mean, it's been since about 2000, right? Since they become mainstream and we're walking around with those things. So that's all anybody. I don't have a landline in my house anymore. Do you? No. Now this, I don't know. Again, I, I can't trust anything I hear on the internet or TikTok or YouTube or Instagram. This could be a troll job for sure. But I totally believe, absolutely. My kids have not grown up with a landline in the house. They wouldn't know what to do with the rotary phone that my my grandparents had in their house until they passed away. Now, her next idea was because inflation is so high, not everybody can afford to have cell phones all the time. There need to be these booths that are just around town <laughs> that have telephones in them and if you just have a couple quarters you can put it in the phone and make a call what a phone booth wow if you're an investor hit me up it's the hammer and nigel show whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIPC. Are we doing Biden Madness yet? Is it time for Biden Madness? Ten more minutes. Okay, okay. Ten more minutes. Earn it. Chomping at the bit for some Biden Madness. <laughs> uh, my name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. How about uh, Zelensky uh, from Ukraine? Basically threatening that if um, we don't keep funding his war, American sons and daughters will be sent to uh, this war and die. Here is uh, Zelensky yesterday. This is the voice translator. The U.S. is never going to give up on the NATO member states. If it happens so that Ukraine, uh, due to various opinions and weakening, depleting of assistance, uh, loses, Russia is going to enter Baltic states, NATO member states, and then the U.S. will have to send their sons and daughters exactly the same way as we are sending their sons and daughters to war. And they will have to fight because it's NATO that we're talking about and they will be dying. All right. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me see if I got this right. If Ukraine loses the war to Russia, Russia will invade NATO member states. And that means the U.S. is going to have to send our sons and daughters over there to fight and die. Dr. Evil, your thoughts? How about no? <laughs> How about no? This is not going to yeah, happen. My, my son over my dead body will be sent. 
over there to fight in any of this bull crap. Um, Zelensky is doing what he does best. I mean, he's an actor. He's he he's a showman. He, you know, knows that that, um, you know, if we don't if we stop sending money to Ukraine, your sons and daughters, American sons and daughters are going to come over here and die. And it, so far, it's worked. This kind of stuff has worked. I mean, he's got a never-ending list of requirements for the United States, and it's worked every time. At first, it was, um, you know, look, we're just going to send him some dollars for humanitarian stuff, uh, but that, that's it. Uh, no, 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 we're not going to send any Stinger missiles. Are you kidding me? No Stinger. And then they send him missiles. No, 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 that's where we draw the line. We're not sending any tanks to Ukraine. Don't get crazy. And then we send tanks to Ukraine. What's next? Fighter jets? They've so far, Biden said, well, no, those aren't on the table. What do you want to bet here? And within the next year, we're sending fighter jets over there. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. I want to go back to something you said a second ago. It's working. Do you think it's working because of Zelensky? Or is this working because, let's be honest, they've got some dirt on Hunter and the Biden family is compromised when it comes to Ukraine. If this were literally anybody else in Washington as the president, do you think that the money would still be flowing? They wouldn't be over there if Trump was in office right now. Russia would not be in Ukraine if President Trump was still in office. And it's it's you can't blame Zelensky for for trying. I don't begrudge him for our, for you know, putting on a show and 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 going to the extremes, he's doing what's best for his country at this moment. I hope Russia loses. I hope they disintegrate. But but when does the list of need like when when are we going to stop being the world's police here? We're funding their pensions. Like the United yeah. States is funding yeah. Ukraine's pension I, I, right now. Like there's a difference between providing a little bit of humanitarian aid, and if you feel like it giving them a little bit to fight with but funding this whole thing this reeks of biden being compromised because of his idiot son and this is going to go on forever and ever because russia doesn't care about their military they don't care about sending russian conscripts to the front lines and um, and, and putting them straight into the meat grinder uh, for the ukraine army they, they just keep throwing bodies and bodies and bodies and it's nothing new under the sun that's the history of russia now listen there's a better chance of gene katie being named sexiest man alive but just humor me here. wow gene katie taking some shrapnel whoa <laughs> humor me here let's say that the united states decides all right we are going to send some people over to ukraine i think you have to start with anybody that has the ukraine flag in their twitter bio anybody that's got the flag in their bio you move to the front of the line if you love it so much step right up to the plate uh Big news out of Chicago last night, Nige. Lori Lightfoot, their mayor, went down in flames. She finished third and did not advance to the April runoff to declare the mayor of Chicago. So one of the most incompetent, divisive mayors in Chicago history, which that's saying a lot, <laughs> is gone. And so is this a bellwether of, you know, a harbinger, whatever, of, of things to come in Indianapolis. I mean, she real, literally was one of the worst mayors ever. Um, like the first time in 30 years that the, of the mayor has not been reelected 
in that city. That's how bad she was from skyrocketing crime. The public school system is in shambles. Uh, illegal immigrants are are literally homeless people uh, in camp, uh, you know, camping out at O'Hare Airport. <laughs> it's it's a disaster, and and it, she didn't even she wasn't even close with these two other guys. She got like sixteen percent. Uh, the main, the, the two other guys uh, got like twenty percent and eighteen percent, or maybe thirty percent and twenty percent. So she came in third. That wasn't even close. Now it's she's just, saying that she finished third because she was treated unfairly because of her race and gender. Race and gender. What? What? <laughs> one of the guys that beat her was black. Nigel, <laughs> Nigel, you're making too much sense. You're gonna have to stop. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you to stop right now. This was racist, what happened to Lori Lightfoot, uh, uh, even break. though another black guy defeated her. <laughs> Unbelievable. Nice try. But you brought up Indianapolis a second ago, and I think this is interesting. So we have seen places like San Francisco vote out their extremely woke, ridiculous DA. They've, they, and they've tried to do it at other places as well. Not successful. I think in L.A., um, Philly, places. At least people are waking up and paying attention or trying. But yeah, San Francisco, one of the last places you'd think um, would would do something like that with their prosecutor. So how in Indianapolis, where even though Indy is dark blue, it's not Frisco blue, it's not Chicago or L.A. blue, why do the folks in Indy keep electing these same losers that have the same track record? Record crime? We'll vote for Ryan Mears again. Record crime? Record homeless? Hell, let's go Joe Hawkset. Why does Indy keep electing these same people when places far more liberal like Frisco and LA are starting to wake up and realize what the hell's going on around here. Part of it's straight ticket voting. Of course, they'll never vote anything but Democrat, but blue. Um, And that's why I think Abdullah is an uphill battle uh, waiting for him is the fact that he he needs to make people wake up and realize that the same crap has been happening for a long time, for a number of years in this city. It's because of uh, radical DAs and uh, liberal administrations, including the mayor. So as we say farewell to Lori Lightfoot, how about great moments in Lori Lightfoot history? Oh, wonderful. Let's do a little COVID hypocrisy. Oh, she yes. had shut Chicago down, but then Joe Biden won the election, and hot damn, there was a party in the street, and she spoke at it. This is a great day for our country. I just want to say for all those people who voted, you made this happen. That was 2020 at the height of COVID mania. Even Stephanie Rule of MSNBC called her out. What do you say to those who are criticizing you where less than a week ago you went out and stood before a (laughs) massive crowd who was celebrating um, Joe Biden's victory? And now you're saying your city has to shut down. How do you have one and not the other? Well, look, I, I, I think that we've been saying all along, everybody has to take care. Everybody has to take precaution. I will tell you in that big crowd a week ago, we had everybody was wearing masks. Look at you can see the shot here. Um, mask compliance in our city is actually up very, very high. But yes, there are times when we actually do need to have a relief and come together. And I felt like that was one of those times. So funny how they say mass compliance was very, very high. Well, so was positive COVID tests, which right. kind of proves proves uh, that they don't do crap 
when I'm talking about masks. Plus, she, you remember she got the haircut. She was one of the ones who went to get the haircut. Right. Her and Pelosi. And was that yeah. the science? It just felt like the right time. <laughs> I was told to follow the science. Uh, great moments in Lori Lightfoot history. <laughs> this is when she was doing a town hall event, and she had wrapped up speaking, and they were getting ready to bring up somebody from the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, and Lori Lightfoot still had a hot mic and called him a clown. The next speaker is Pat Murray. Oh, back again. This is his FOP clown. This is this FOP clown. <laughs> Believe me, I'm certain the feeling was mutual. Their <laughs> Beetlejuice. And the last one here, this was the pro-abortion rally where she gave the message to blank Clarence Thomas. If you read Clarence Thomas' concurrence, he said, thank you, Clarence Thomas. Great moments in Lori Lightfoot history. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show on 93 WIBC. So, somebody tuning in for the first time that doesn't know what Biden madness is, Hammer, kind of explain what's going on here as we approach March Madness for the NCAA basketball tournament. So, to kind of get into the spirit of March, March Madness, uh, we've put together a seeded field of 16 different clips of Joe Biden. Now, we've done this before. Two years ago, we did Biden Madness, and we had a field of 16. And every single day, we're going to take two sound bites of your president, and we're going to play them. (laughs) And you will vote on Twitter of which one is the most ridiculous, and you want it to advance in the tournament. So we've done this two years ago. Last year, it was COVID hypocrisy madness, which Dr. Box cut down the nets in that tournament. Right. And right. <laughs> for her masking hypocrisy. Okay. Right. And now this is another edition of Biden madness. Biden 2.0. There's only two clips that are back in this field. The winner of the first one and the runner up in the first one. Okay. Those are the only two we've brought back. Everything else is new. Brand new. Okay, so let's not waste any more time. Please. Competing today, the number four seed in Biden Madness Tournament. This is where Joe Biden was speaking on the lawn at the White House. Kamala was to one side. Supreme Court Justice Kentanji Brown Jackson was on the other side. And Joe Biden had a very passionate speech about America. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with him. And I traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. (laughs) There's a lot going on there. I have no idea what he was talking about or what he just said. Allison, we're going to have to play this one more time. So there's a couple things here. (laughs) That's strong. Number one, American can be defined in a single word, and then it's a lot of gibberish, and (laughs) we don't know what he said. But then he tells this ridiculous story about Xi Jinping, (laughs) and at the very end says, I don't know that. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the uh, the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping. Traveling with him, and I traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> That's a strong start. That's the number four seed. Okay. But a very scrappy number 13 seed. 
This is when Joe Biden was in Michigan, and I believe he was looking around at a plant that makes electric vehicles. And remember how in the past he's lied about being a truck driver and a train engineer (laughs) and all these ridiculous things? So Joe Biden lying about driving a big rig in Michigan, and then there's a lot of gibberish, and I have no idea what's going on. But... uh... Um, I might uh, point out, you're, uh, when I went to Dearborn driving that, uh, you know, uh, was up there. I don't know, man. It, <laughs> it, uh, I think the press thought I was crazy. I enjoyed it so much going up in uh, your new EV factory and in, uh, in that, uh, that Hummer. Let me read you a line from that soundbite. Now, Allison, we're going to play this again here in a moment. Quote, when I went to Dearborn driving that, you know, was up there. I don't know, man. But uh, um, I might point out, you're, uh, when I went to Dearborn driving that, uh, you know, uh, was up there. I don't know, man. It, it, uh, I think the press thought I was crazy. I enjoyed it so much going up in uh, your new EV factory in, uh, in that uh, that Hummer. Well, you talk about rambling, nonsensical, <laughs> run-on gibberish. That's an upset right there. I'm picking number 13 for sure. So the poll is now live on Twitter, at Hammer and Nigel. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you vote. <laughs> Which one do you want to continue? The number four seed, America in a single word, or the number 13 seed, Trucking Gibberish in Michigan? <laughs> vote right now, at Hammer and Nigel on Hammer. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? On 93 WIBC. So let's rock it! Hammer, I'm still trying to figure out in my head if this whole thing about Indiana taking the toxic waste from East Palestine and disposing of it in a Rochdale landfill. I'm, I'm trying to work it out as if, if it's a big deal or not. If, if this Rochdale landfill operated by Heritage Environment, Environmental Services, says, look, man, we're federally certified. We know what we're doing. This is our business. We can handle this. Fine. What I'm worried about is the Biden administration and his EPA, they're in charge of transporting this stuff and that worries me a little bit because the response to this disaster in ohio the train derailment the plume of chemicals flowing into the air the response from our government has been a disaster from day one so well i think rochdale can handle it they want it they probably want the buckage they probably want the dollars right (laughs) there's some other mitigating there's some other factors involved here especially like how holcomb just learned about it third hand and do they have the authority to just say does the government and the epa have the authority to just say hey yeah it's going here and that's it look at the people in charge of everything right now from the cleanup to the transportation you've seen the movie Spaceballs, right Yes, of course. Rick Moranis. There's a moment where Dark Dark Helmet Helmet, says, quote, 
I'm surrounded by a-holes. <laughs> That's what this whole situation has come to here. And you're right. I've got all the faith in the world in the Rochdale landfill doing things right. They're probably saying, hey, this is what we do. This is how we get down. This is how we make the big bucks. But if you lived in Putnam County, I don't think you're so gung-ho about it. I don't know how much civic pride you have in, yeah, <laughs> we're going to be the ones that take care of the toxic waste. Like, everybody likes to be proud of their hometown, sure. right? What everybody you, wants a little civic pride. What are you known for there in Rochdale? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> when toxic waste gets to the point to where it's really dangerous, we take it. <laughs> and we do it better than anybody. So you mentioned <laughs> Governor Holcomb. This was his statement that he put out yesterday. Ugh. Quote, after learning third hand that materials may be transported to our state, I directed my environmental director to reach out to the agency. Yeah. And he goes on and on and on. Yeah, the third hand thing it just it sets off, raises red flags left and right. Senator Mike Braun has entered the chat. Quote, oh, really? I am opposed to the transfer of hazardous materials from the East Palestine train derailment to Indiana. The Biden EPA and Transportation Department have mishandled this disaster from well, day one. Okay, so exactly what I said. Yeah. However, yeah. the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, IDEM, says they did not have any regulatory authority to prevent the transfer. So basically, because this is coming from the feds, the folks here in Indiana kind of have their hands tied. It doesn't matter what Governor Holcomb says. It doesn't matter what Senator Braun says or any representative here. According to the IDEM, they do not have regulatory authority to prevent hazardous waste disposal facilities right. from ex accepting these materials. So it, it, looking like Roachdale it is. Roachdale it Man, is. But I completely, that's what, that, those were my sentiments exactly about the Biden EPA and the Transportation Department and the unqualified doofus that's running, um, you know, the Secretary of Transportation. Uh, just at all, you know, how is this stuff going to be transported? Uh, well, Norfolk any... said they've got this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're shipping toxic liquid waste by rail. The same company who's trained to rail and sent literally plumes of toxic chemicals in the air. They're now shipping that same hazardous waste again. The selling point was the CEO of Norfolk saying, what are the chances it happens twice? <laughs> kind of shrugging his shoulders, putting his palms up in the air. Come on, trust us. What's the worst that could happen again? It's not going to happen twice. Uh, speaking of train accidents and things of that nature, a train carrying 30,000 gallons of propane derailed in Florida. What is going on? Uh, in what could have turned out to be a major tragedy, the train carrying the 30,000 gallons of propane that derailed ultimately did not like leak into the environment. Because of the potential danger, though, firefighters didn't initially approach the wreck site. Because when you're dealing with propane, that's some flammable stuff oh, right yeah. there. So they were in the air with a drone. They were able to look at the thermal issues with the things that derailed. And they ultimately said, everything's going to be okay here. There are no leaks, okay. no physical oh, damage to the tank other than just a few dents on the rollover. And according to our transportation secretary, Mayor Pete... Yeah, it happens all the time. Eh. 
<laughs> worried about for nothing. Uh, now, all these, excuse me, I've got some personal time with Chastin. <laughs> all these warehouse fires you're seeing over the past year, all these train derailments with toxic chemicals that you've been seeing, happens all the time. And I get there are probably, you know, hundreds, if not thousand train derailments a year because everybody that works in the rail industry is quick to send us messages saying that i get it but is every one of these ones that carry extremely toxic chemicals has there ever been a train derailment where it's like teddy bears going to build a bear has there ever been a train derailment like in a bunch of cotton going to the q-tip factory is it always just hazardous materials Seems that like tip it. over and burn and leak into the environment um, last night, Biden's communication director, Kate Bedingfield, like they're not even trying to hide the fact they're lying to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like all politicians lie. I get that. But there's usually a way they can bend the truth to make it fit their narrative. Like Jen Psaki, say what you want about her. She was a Jedi when it came to that stuff. Like she would twist and bend a story to where she could say, this is what I really meant. That's not happening anymore with the Biden administration. They're just looking at you right in the face and giving you false information that can easily be proven wrong and just hoping and praying that you're too lazy or too stupid to care. This is the communications director, Kate Bedingfield, talking about how Joe Biden has lowered energy prices and utility bills. Uh, to bringing down energy prices, which he's also done through uh, numerous actions he's taken over the last couple of years, to lowering people's utility bills, to, again, working to try to provide relief from student debt for middle class and working families. Everything that he does when he is uh, pushing forward his economic agenda is about giving people that breathing room. So- in no way, shape, or form has Joe Biden lowered energy prices and utility bills. Ours are through the roof. Everybody, I'm just talking personally, anecdotally. I'm just talking about our family. I mean, it's it's. I'm sure you see it too. It's it's, and with inflation as well. Right. A simple Google search. You know, Joe Biden and Mayor Pete like to say that all the time. Oh, Google it. Uh, electricity is up 11.9 percent. Fuel is up 27.7%. Natural gas up 26.7%. Also, gas costs a dollar per gallon more than when Joe Biden took office. So don't sit there and tell us that the prices are down. Literally, it takes 30 seconds to find that online. George Costanza, your thoughts. Just remember, it's not a lie (laughs) if you believe it. I mean, there's no way she can bend that to say, well, this is what I really uh, and meant. Then, and, then, and then she throws in the student debt relief. Look, he's, you know, student debt relief. Look what he's trying to do there. That's not going anywhere. I got news for you. They That's knew the- that was not constitutional, but they had to placate all of these people that voted for them on the basis of free stuff. And <laughs> they just throw crap to the wall and hope it sticks, man. man. I, I like... W- We've got to play that audio of Randy Weingarten, the head of the teachers' union, squawking about that yesterday. Like the shrieking at the Supreme Court uh, about student debt from Bernie Sanders and Randy Weingarten is just, it's, it's not very effective. And this is what really pisses me off. During the pandemic, we understood that small businesses were hurting. And we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. 
big businesses were hurting, and we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it, the corporations challenge it, the student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right, that is not fair, and that is what we are fighting as well when we say, castle student debt. Oh, gosh, please. She goes on and on and on and on, like somehow comparing student debt relief to uh, providing funds to small businesses that were forced to close by our own government is the same thing. She's in charge of teachers, and she wants to be in charge of your kids' education. That lunatic. And again, I've said it once, I'll say it again. I've never seen her and Joe Namath in the same room together. (laughs) Crime. Punishment. Judges. Legal stuff. Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa, settled that crash photo lawsuit. You remember this? The uh, they, the family of Kobe Bryant agreed to $28.5 million settlement with Los Angeles County. It's, it's going back to that lawsuit over deputies and firefighters actually sharing grisly photos of Kobe after that helicopter wreck. Um, his, and his daughter, And too. his daughter, his 13-year-old daughter, and some other victims in the 2020 helicopter crash. So I, that's sick, man. That's just, that's that's rough. You remember, I mean, that, that basically started 2020 off, was that crash, that horrific uh, helicopter crash in the mountains with Kobe Bryant and his daughter and several other people. That that kicked off a pretty crappy year. That 2020 was, was, is a year you can forget completely. Like, if you told me you have to forget one year from your memory, yeah. make it 2020 for me. And how much did you say they agreed to here? Well, let's see. The, they... <sighs> From the they got thirteen and a half million from the county, along with another fifteen million in a federal uh, a federal jury awarded Brian's widow. Uh, so about twenty eight and, and a half million, like twenty eight and a half million dollars total, and you know it resolves any future claims by her and the surviving daughters. So uh, I probably deserves every penny of that. If you're I mean, a first responder, man, yeah. and you get to that crash scene, and you, the first thing you want to do is take pictures of Kobe and his dead daughter just because it's Kobe, man, that's kind of sick. That's pretty gross. Uh, a Scottish woman claims that she went to a McDonald's drive through and was given a burger with a big-ass bite taken <laughs> out of it. Now, McDonald's claims it was an accident and that the burger with the bite in it was put in a place that it should not have been after another customer returned it. So I have so many questions here. So that's a double whammy. Right. First of all, let's say that you're that McDonald's worker and somebody returns a burger with a bite in it and they're complaining. It's not cooked all the way. It's got ketchup, whatever, something you didn't order. Why don't you just throw it in the trash? Why are you putting it somewhere where somebody can pick it up and hand it back out through the drive-thru? Or maybe maybe he was just saving it for later, for himself. I'm not letting this half-eaten hamburger go to waste. <laughs> Going full uh, Bill Murray and Caddyshack? Yeah. It's no big deal. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, Have you ever had like a drive through order or something from a no, fast food place but, with a bite out of it? No, but you see it all the time with the, um, with the... The the 
uh, one of my food delivery, DoorDash, you know, DoorDash Uber Eats. You see these footage of of uh, you know French fries that are half eaten or wings that have been eaten out of the thing. And that's why I don't why use never, that never stuff, used, man. You never knew, used the fast food delivery services. We use them all the time. I've never really had any problems with them. But um, and now about the only thing that's ever happened to me was I got carry out at a Mexican restaurant. It's probably ten or twelve years ago, and. I bit into the, oh man, I was so hungry. It was like a, a chalupa, and I felt something metal. Ooh. I hit my teeth. I'm like, I'm chewing on something metal, and I just it comes out of my mouth, and it's, a, it's like a screwdriver bit. Oh, oh no. It's like one of the, like an interchangeable bit for screwdrivers and, and fry right. heads and Phillips heads, and it was just like the little, it's, so somebody was, I don't know, doing some maintenance back there in the kitchen. and uh, Did that jack your teeth up No, it, it could have. It really could have. But I remember that to this day, and I just think, ugh. Was it you, or did we have a story about somebody that purchased a salad, and there was, like, a frog in it? (laughs) I think that's a story we did. Okay, we had a story. Somebody purchased one of those prepackaged salads at a grocery store, and they go home, and they open it up. Like a toad. And there's a toad in there. (laughs) I ordered this sans toad. Um... (laughs) Are you an Ozzy Osbourne guy? Uh, yeah, I mean, back in the early days, I, I liked his stuff. Um, I, I liked, uh, you know, the Black Sabbath stuff. I was lucky enough to go see Black Sabbath when they were here in 2015 up at Deer Creek. Was Ozzy and, coherent? Yeah, then? Ozzy was. He was. He was killer, man. It was awesome. I, I'm glad I got to see him. And now, of course, he made the announcement a few weeks ago that he's uh, he's retiring from music, retiring from touring because his body can't take it anymore. Is it urban legend or is it true that the reason people would throw water on Ozzy when he was on stage was he would pee his pants? Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably true because he was incontinent. And I mean, he'd wear all black and then, yeah, he'd, he'd dump water on himself because, you know. The old Billy Madison trick. Right. Look, everybody, Ozzy peed his pants. <laughs> of course I did. It's the coolest. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> uh, Ozzy says the media exaggerated his tour cancellation announcement. Here's what he said about what touring and his current state of health. I mean, I, I looked in a magazine that Ozzy's on his last legs. I'm not dying. Come on, guys. Haven't I haven't had it bad enough already? The, the doctor said to me today, oh, you can tour. It would take another six months to get it together, you know. Still in constant pain. I, I, I stood, did the best I can to stand away from the pain medication, but there are times when I go, I've got to take something. Allison, why did you play a Joe Biden clip? <laughs> I thought that we were talking about Ozzy Osbourne. Biden madness did kick <laughs> off earlier today. I didn't understand a word he said, but I think he's saying, look, I'm not dead. I'm not dying. My body's just in bad shape. I can't really translate what he just said. No, no, not um, at all. But the other guy that canceled his tour with Justin Bieber, he's got that um, he's got that syndrome where half of his face is, is got paralyzed. I forget what they. I forget it off. It's called being vaxxed. Sorry, did I say that out loud? (laughs) No, that's not what it was. Am I going to get canceled for saying that out loud? What was what was his thing? But he just had to cancel his tour because of uh, health reasons. Um, Have you ever heard of an artist called Hardy? Hardy is one of these. Get in the truck. Get in the truck. 
Kind Lord have mercy, rock. have mercy on me. Get yeah. in the truck. Yeah, they play this song all the time on Hank. Kind of kid rock. Life. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He's like the kid rock of country music. So he's a little rock. He's a little country. Yeah. He can put a little hip hop in there. Hardy is one of the up and coming stars from Nashville. We love cover songs on this show. So here's Hardy doing a cover of Stone Temple Pilots, mm. 1994 hit, Big Empty. Driving faster in my car from just this doing anything for you? No, I mean, it sounds exactly like the original, uh, except that the voice isn't as good as Wineland, as Scott Wineland. I, mean, I don't mind Hardy. I like that he, I like that song that he has on country music. Here, turn it up just a little. Let it get to the chorus here. Does it make you feel old, though, that, like, up-and-comers are now covering these <laughs> old songs that well, you used to play on the radio? Not only that, but it makes you feel old that these the, the original songs are now being played on classic rock stations. Right. Whereas once I worked, at, you know, in alternative rock stations, that was a big hit. But, yeah, that makes me feel kind of elderly. Okay, so I want you to compare what you just heard from Hardy doing a cover of a Stone Temple Pilots song, Big Empty, yeah. to Hootie and the Blowfish covering... <laughs> STP's Interstate Love Song. I like this a lot better. Darius on the vocals. Oh, yeah. I, I, I get down with this. I don't know why I like this one better than the other one. I just do. It's a little bit more upbeat, too. It's upbeat, and I like, I like Darius Rucker's voice. And Hardy's got a good voice, but I, I like I like this cover much better. I'm not the biggest country music fan in the world. I kind of like the older country more than current. But when Wagon Wheel comes on, I will drink, I will <laughs> sing, I will make an ass of myself. I'm just telling you that right now. All right, coming up next, we've got uh, Tony Kennett from The Daily Signal and The Tony Kennett Show. We're going to get his thoughts on that lunatic Randy Weingarten, some of these bills at the Indiana State House. Nobody breaks it down better than... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. My name is Nigel Jason Hammer right over there. We'll go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on investigative journalist for the Daily Signal, Tony Kennett, and host of the Tony Kennett Show uh, weekends here on 93 WIBC. Tony, how are you? Stellar, guys. How are you doing? Let's start with um, Randy Weingarten. Unfortunately, oh, we, we must. <laughs> he, uh, so the Supreme Court is looking at the constitutionality of Joe Biden's student debt forgiveness program, right? And it doesn't look right. like it's going to go well for Joe Biden and the administration. So uh, Randy Weidengarten, head of the teachers union, is out running her mouth. And uh, let me just play a segment of what she was saying, uh, complaining that the Supreme Court is even thinking about declaring this uh, unconstitutional. And frankly, and this is what really pisses me off, during the pandemic, we understood that small businesses were hurting. And we helped them. And it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. Big businesses 
all of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it, the corporations challenge it, the student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right, that is not fair, and that is what we are fighting as well when we say, cancel student debt. I'm sorry I had to put you through that. Good Lord. But Uh, uh, your initial thoughts uh, there. So uh, two things. Number one, last week we were talking about protesters that made a mockery of themselves. And if you guys remember last week when I was on with you two, or well, when I was on with, with Jason, there was this. There's this uh, idea of getting in front of everyone and screaming like an idiot and acting like that convinces anyone. Well, here you go. So I guess that, you know, the whole screaming nonsense is supposed to work this time. But my my favorite part of this and the second part here is that you can tell she loses her way halfway through. Like even she doesn't know what point she's trying to make. No one challenged it then. And they... um, but but we're here fighting today. <laughs> but, she, but you know what? The, and she's comparing apples to oranges. The reason uh, the government handed out so much money is because they forced us to shut down. Uh, yeah, and, and even nobody, then, also, nobody forced you to take out a predatory student loan, which also needs to be looked at as a separate issue. But but nobody told these kids, uh, hey, you have to take this loan. And it's not as though we're just talking about student loans that were taken during the COVID pandemic, which right. in, 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 even in that situation, student loan payments were suspended anyway. So now we're going to forgive them as a measure of the emergency. Like none of this makes sense. It doesn't actually function in any logistical conversation. Uh, but this is just something that the left really, really wants, and they'll use any excuse they can to get it. Tony, you worked as a STEM educator with IPS for a number of years. As a whole, what do teachers think of Randy Weingarten? Because she's the head of the biggest teachers union in the United States. And to me, it seems like she's only in this for herself. She's going to Ukraine. She's ranting and raving like a lunatic. She doesn't even have any kids. She just wants to enhance her <laughs> own brand. What do teachers think? A lot of teachers just can't stand her. They can't stand her. They can't stand Becky Pringle, who's in charge of the uh, uh, NEA. That's what the ISTA is a part of. Uh, the teachers that are a part of the AFT here in the state of Indiana, there's this collective eye roll that happens in a lot of rooms when someone quotes her or plays a video by her. Uh, they know that, that she's just taking a lot of their money and running around and preening and posturing with it. It's not something that helps them, but uh, this is one of the myriad of things they have to deal with every day that's stupid and nonsensical. So this is just par for the course. And the student debt forgiveness program that Biden wants, that he completely circumvented Congress and, and you know signed this executive order really pushing the limits what do you what do you think is going to happen um what do you think the supreme court's going to say here in this situation uh, it's unconstitutional the president the president does not have the authority to make financial decisions he doesn't the uh The purse of the American economy lies in Congress. It always has. Um, That's the way this country has been run since Alexander Hamilton was looking at the federalist aspects of doing so. So I don't know what Biden thinks that he's actually going to accomplish here. Really, it's just a political move to make it look like he's he's buying for the little guy. He's buying votes. It's, It's a vote buying scheme, in my opinion. 
Oh, yeah. He's just, I mean, in, in a large uh, circumstance and, and set of ways, states have tried to do this before. Well, they'll sign these actions that they know are going to get struck down uh, in order just to, to kind of garner support for a political party. In Biden's case, he's, he's so desperately trying to stay relevant uh, when he thinks that the majority of the country is in favor of this program, uh, when data shows that the country is not. A lot of people don't want to pay for someone's dance theater major degree. <laughs> Tony Kennett joining us of The Daily Signal and The Tony Kennett Show. Uh, Tony, let's bring it here to Indy because it was a big night last night at the Indiana General Assembly. A couple bills making it out of the Indiana Senate. Let's start with, I believe it's Senate Bill 480. This is the bill that's got the ACLU's panties in a complete wad that states (laughs) that minors can't have gender-changing surgery or puberty blockers until they turn 18. Uh, that's a good bill. Uh, if you're a minor, your body systems are developing. There has been no physiological study, not one, that shows that it is a good thing long term for you to mutilate your endocrine system. That's what uh, regulates your hormones or your reproductive system. Uh, and I don't really need to tell you what that does. So we've seen a large number of individuals, quote unquote, detransitioning in their early 20s and 30s and talking about the amount of regret that they have. They felt pressured into lopping off their breasts or their penis. And they they talk about how they'll never be able to have kids, they'll never be able to feel normal, and they regret it. So what the Indiana Senate is doing and saying, look, you're a minor, you don't have the faculties mentally to be making these massive, huge decisions, you need to wait until you're an adult. And by the way, this is not uncommon, you have to wait to uh, smoke uh, you have to wait to drink until you're legally an adult. Messing up your body's systems any other way uh, should also be prevented from minors, regardless of parental permission. It's never a good thing to abuse your kids. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Imagine if you're somebody that had been in a coma for a number of years, and you wake up, and the first story you see is that the ACLU is upset that 10-year-olds can't chop off their cranks anymore. <laughs> this is the interesting good thing. Lord. People say that there's a slippery slope foul. Policy, uh, that, oh, you know, these Republicans are just saying that this is, you know, things are just going to get worse and worse. Okay, well, this is a prime example of them. Ten years ago, we didn't have to say, hey, don't cut off your kids' organs. Now we're having this argument. I'm amazed that there are individuals who actually believe this stuff. It's wild. And another bill that went through the Indiana Senate last night, I believe, is Senate Bill 12. And this is the banning of pornographic and extremely negative materials in classrooms and libraries and schools. Yeah, genderqueer shouldn't be in the classroom. I'm sorry. It, it's a terrible book. Books like it are terrible. Books that focus on uh, pornographic content as a positive thing, that focus on minors having sex as a good thing, that's bad. Uh, a lot of progressives fire back and say, but sex is mentioned in the Bible, and I see you wanting to, <laughs> to ban the Bible from schools, libraries. Uh, yeah, that's because when the Bible talks about sex, it says, uh, A, don't be stupid, B, be married, and uh, C, it doesn't go into detail about out, uh, all of the weird, nonsensical ways humans have created to be really disturbing since then. Uh, and by the way, the Bible is also not curriculum in schools. Uh, so as far as pornographic content, like genderqueer absolutely and definably is, that shows uh, minors giving oral sex to old men, uh, and very Ooh. graphically so, uh, no, that shouldn't be in schools. And if you really think it should be in school libraries, uh, please stay away from me and my children. Are there anything in 
hearing these bills about the you know the the gender affirming. Um, and, you know, I'm not telling the parents about how uh, their their son or daughter wants to be called him, her, or anything like that. Well, coming from the House, it was just passed uh, by the House heading over to the Senate, HB 1608. Uh, inside the, uh, there's an amendment uh, with that bill that says schools are not allowed to withhold information like that from parents. In fact, they have to get parental permission. So the uh, interesting thing about this bill is that it would actually prevent situations that are going on around the state in New Prairie up near South Bend uh, at South Madison um, at Pendleton. There's a lot of situations where uh, the stuff that you're talking about is a very needful bill. Is that the bill where morons who haven't read the bill are calling it the don't say gay bill? Uh, yeah, that's the truth. Two pages. It says nothing about not saying gay. And yet that's the headline everywhere from WTHR to Indy Star. And you see young kids doing this, too. Like, there are high school kids organizing their fight back against Indiana's don't say gay bill. And without being grumpy old man, I just want to look at these kids and go, all right, we'll help you fight back if you can show us where specifically it says don't say gay. Uh, as far as student activism is concerned, I remember after uh, there was uh, a shooting that, that occurred in Florida, um, all of the students in our school and a lot of other schools were going to have a day where they were going to walk out. And, with, and, and without asking any of the staff, talking to any of the staff, they just got up from my room. Uh, not all of my students, many of my students went and sat in the hallways. And it was really brave and stunning. And they all sat out in the hallways to protest something, I guess, and they came back in and they were all <laughs> smug. And I said, hey guys, uh, here's a quick question. When there's a school shooting, where's the least safe place to be in a building? And one of the kids went, the hallway. And I was like, yeah, where did you guys just tell everyone in the country you were going to be sitting for these 15 minutes of the day? And another kid was like, the hallway. Yeah, so I, I don't really think student activism thinks anything through. So I, I'm, I'm sure this is just going to be another excellent case of kids who think they know everything not knowing anything. Tony, we got just a couple minutes left here. Uh, Non-education news. Well, maybe it is, because Lori Lightfoot of Chicago, she was somebody that would bump heads with the education officials in Chicago. She will no longer be the mayor of Chicago. She finished a distant third in the preliminary election last night, did not qualify for the runoff election. So, what are your thoughts on Lori Lightfoot? Congratulations to her promotion at Waffle House. Uh, that, that would be the first thing. Uh, number two, uh, Chicago is a mess. I, I love how she replied this morning uh, that her not getting elected, basically other Democrats beating her out in, in this runoff, uh, was a result of racism and sexism and other isms. Uh, it, it's really quite amazing. Well, she, She's she, been a terrible she, play, mayor. she played the race card, but the other guy to beat her is black. <laughs> oh, you see, no, 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 Nigel. No, see, it's a culture of white supremacy. So it doesn't matter if a different black person wins. It's a culture. See, it's, it's systemic. You're just unlearned. Explain to me, though, how places like San Francisco, as liberal as you can find anywhere in America, they can wake up and vote out their ridiculous DA. Chicago, as liberal as anywhere in America, can say no to their current mayor. New Orleans are trying to for a recall there. But yet, here in yep. Indianapolis, we keep electing the same zeros to office. Why haven't we figured it out yet, Tony? Uh, the biggest 
thing that liberals in Indianapolis like to lean on when it comes to keeping their office is that there's always someone higher up that's a Republican to pass the blame to. So Hogsett can have, you know, the record numbers of murder. We can have horrible roads. We can have uh, civilians of all kinds who are, are terrified in the streets. And yet, oh, well, Governor Holcomb's a Republican. And that's the real reason that the city's terrible. Grr. And and so nothing ever changes and people keep getting shot and then catch a flat on the way to the emergency room. So you don't think this is a harbinger of, of things to come uh, in Indianapolis, uh, seeing a, a horrible mayor like Lori Lightfoot, the public school systems are a disaster, crime through the roof, somewhat of the same thing happening here in Indianapolis. Do you think this is um, a sign of uh, a possible change in Indy? I sure hope it is. But at this present time, I'm still looking at a lot of Indianapolis Democrats who still believe that trying the exact same thing for the 38th time in a row is going to make a difference. If anybody wants to continue this conversation or read any of your works, where can they go, my friend? You can always head over to DailySignal.com and look up my work, or you can catch me on Twitter at TheTonus. And when's your show? Oh, it's on Saturdays at 1 to 3. I always forget I have to start advertising that. (laughs) (laughs) The Tony Kinnett Show this Saturday, 1 to 3, here in 93 WIBC. Tony, thank you. Thanks, guys. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show.